So there's a young man sitting in an office in New York City working for a finance company. And he's having thoughts that many of us have. I just wish that I could do more. And as he's sitting in this office, he thinks back to a time when he had done study abroad in Australia. He says, maybe it's time for a change. Maybe I need to get out of here. Maybe I need to go find that something more. Friends, welcome to the show today, Prashant Mehta, the founder of Conscious Step. Prashant, welcome. Thanks for having me, Nick. Awesome to have you. Let's get right into what you believe, because people need to know what is a core principle, what is a core belief that you just know to be true after your life's work so far? Hmm. I think, um, you know, on that subject, the universe definitely rewards people who chase their dreams. Sometimes it's not as direct or in the way you'd expect, but, you know, life has a way of rewarding those who get out of their comfort zone and, you know, try to make more out of themselves and more out of the short life we live. It really is a lot of that is about showing up, right? Yeah. For sure. And uh, yeah, you know, I think showing up is a big thing that uh, I really believe in because, you know, half the battle is just being there at the right place of time and you don't know who you're going to meet, how it's going to work out. But in many cases, we see people around us or even ourselves just inflict out based on, you know, what could happen or how things aren't meant to work out or just placing X factors that don't even really exist in our own head to convince ourselves that, hey, I shouldn't fail or I shouldn't take this opportunity because of you know, the potential downside that might hurt me emotionally, physically, or, you know, just in the comfort of my own living and just showing up sometimes and embracing that, you know, that feeling is, is really great. It's very powerful for an individual. For sure. So if we operate off of this core principle that you believe, which is if you really want something, you have to show up as much as you can to get it. Uh, what is your like concrete, non-cliche advice to someone who says, Hey, Prashant, that sounds great. But like, what if I get rejected? What if I fail? I don't know if I can show up because I'm, I'm scared. I wish I would smile very much at that person and hope that they get rejected and fail because I think learning really comes from rejection and failure in this world. We don't really take time to assess our situation as much when we're successful in an opportunity and really analyze as much as we do when we really question ourselves at deep points of failure, deep points of drama, deep points of challenge in our life that really allow us to assess who we are in this world and what we're trying to accomplish. Awesome advice. So take us, uh, take us back. Uh, let's go back to, to college, which I think was at, uh, was it at Bryant that you did university? Yeah, I graduated in 2011 from Bryant University. And you had a class there that uh, might have been a really good cementing experience for you about showing up uh, and not being afraid to fail. Uh, tell us a little, about, little bit about that investments class that you had in the market research job for your professor. Sure. Yeah. You know, the investments class is just a normal, typical, basic class as a core finance major at Brian. And I think the experience I'm referencing was, was one that really impacted me in showing that the investors, so sorry, I lost my words a little bit in that jumble, um, but the investments 
teacher actually gave us the opportunity to work for a friend of his who's looking for a market research assistant, essentially. And the person was working, I think, across the country, somewhere on the West Coast in Arizona. And I had kept calling him over and over and over for about 10 to eight weeks, um, the first eight weeks of the uh, semester, so um, from Jan through early March. And this guy had not called me back or done anything. And eventually, you know, just on a random day, he picked up the phone and told me that I could have the opportunity just because of how much I kept calling him. He really wanted someone who was just persistent in the work. And the second big thing I learned from the investments class was just investing in today's society goes in so many different directions. But the one core thing my investments teacher actually taught me was invest in things that you believe in, um, things that you use, things that are practical, things that you know you see a growing need for in this world because you can't really replace that judgment as an investor um, or as a general person. If you see a demand for something, your instinct is stronger than any potential market research in some cases. Naturally, we're only exposed to what we know. But uh, you know, going back to it, I think that investments that investments opportunity really showed me at a young age that if you want something, you know, there's probably a thousand other people who want the same thing, but how do you differentiate yourself? One, it's showing up and being there. Two, it's, you know, putting your best foot forward and not being scared to fail. I love it. When I was in college, uh, my roommate took, stole my ID and tried to get into the rec center, got caught, <laughs> and I got kicked out of the rec center for the semester. So I made it a point to email the director <laughs> of the rec center every single week until the end of the semester, just trying to get back in. But I didn't get back in. So tell someone who's listening to this, like, it's inspiring to hear you call 10 weeks in a row. And for someone who is in a similar situation and says, okay, I got the fire. I'm ready to do that. I can call 10 weeks in a row. What should they say on those voicemails? And what should they not say on those voicemails? What worked for you? Hmm. I think that the 10 weeks thing is just wanting the rejection. I know it's like a, it's like a weird feeling. But it's wanting to be rejected in the process. You want to get the no. You want someone to almost put you down and tell you why you can't get the job. So you know, you know, like this is it. And I think that was the main thing for me. I, I really just wanted to be rejected. And I really wanted, because you just hear when you're a junior in college, I think you don't know what success means. You don't know what making in this world is. You kind of just are hoping you get a job out of graduation for, if I'm to reflect on my own current mindset. And, you know, the, the calls, they're, they're just genuine. It's, hey, please do call me back when you have some time. I was very interested in the position. I'd love to tell you more about myself. Um, you know, just setting yourself up with positive psychology of communication where people are, you know, engaging in someone who's very positive as opposed to, uh, you know, anytime you put a negative out there, you're probably going to get a little bit of a negative back in some extent. So if you're, mm-hmm. hey, I don't know why you're not calling me back, please return my phone call, and you're kind of in a negative tone, um, the person's not going to call you and pick up and be super happy as much if you're just, you know, really persistent about a positive communication towards the opportunity and why you're a positive fit and why you'd essentially, you know, it's a naturally human human connection at work. You're trying to show somebody, an employer, a manager, someone, that you are going to have a positive attribution to their business and probably in sync their life itself. Awesome. Communicating with positivity, super important. So eventually, at the end of this 10 weeks, you get an email or a call from this professor? I get a random phone call from like a random number, kind of just with a funny attitude, because I had a feeling it wasn't from my professor, it was a friend of my professor. So I had a feeling they were in touch to some extent, but 
uh, yeah, it was just a phone call. And it's tough to remember. Junior year of college was over ten years. It was almost ten years ago. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, I, I don't want to say that I'm shaking the details a little bit, but I do remember getting that phone call because that far, that equity research job actually got me my internship at Fidelity Investments. Um, that was a core part of my experience. I would have leveraged, you know, that next position in my life and so forward. Awesome. Yeah, that's crazy to see how that domino piece fit into the bigger picture. Uh, at some point, you took a Kickstarter class. Was that at Bryant or was that post-college? That was uh, two years post-college in Australia. Gotcha. All right. So let's go back to Bryant. So you get this internship for Fidelity, and then there's this moment where you decide, you know what, man, I got I to gotta make a change here. And you had a friend in Australia. And so take us through that emotional journey of getting on a plane to go 10,000 miles away. Yeah, you know, um, so it wasn't so much one, one, two like that. I'd worked at Fidelity Investments for about three or four months as an intern. And after, and after graduating um, and then applying for finance jobs, which is a very tedious process, I had been you know, getting flown around the country. Some of these interviews can take up to three months because it's not just one interview, it's like four rounds of interviews. So when you're getting rejected in the third and fourth round, you're kind of mentally almost there. And then it's like back to step one, you know, back to step one. And that kept happening to me. And a lot of the feedback I kept getting was very frustrating because they wanted at least one year of experience. And you're wondering, like, how am I supposed to get one year of experience if you don't give me the opportunity to get one year of experience with you? And who's taking a, a job for one year and then leaving to benefit at a, at a company out of college? You know, you're not really understanding it. And while I was going through the interview process, I, I kept trying to save up naturally. I was doing a lot of side tutoring. And then around six months, I said, if I'm going to take a finance job in this world, I might as well do it with a new opportunity and live somewhere I want to be. Um, because growing up in New York and just, you know, it was always kind of the same. I'm um, just being in the neighborhood, being in the same environment, being around the same people. And I just wanted to challenge myself to get out of my comfort zone to see, hey, you know, I think I viewed success at the time that if you put me anywhere in this world and I could make it myself, then I was a successful person. So I think that definition of a success kind of coincided with um, my own personal dreams. Mm, awesome. And how many years do we end up spending in Australia? I've gone back every year since. I've probably been wow. back around 15 times. I lived there for about two years. Awesome. So you're there for two years. Is that where Conscious Step initially is birthed? Yes. And that's with, uh, that's like, you just wake up one morning, you're like, oh, boom, I've got the whole idea figured out, and here we go, let's do it. Honestly, if I were to describe the moment where I came up with the idea, it had been moving to Australia, trying to find a job for two months, seeing that my working holiday visa basically only allowed me to work at restaurants or bars, or something that had no use for someone who just graduated with a finance degree from a top-tier university. Um, feeling like my family was disappointed with me, not having much friends to lean on, and just wondering about my place and you know, why I existed essentially, or not so much that deep, but you know, what was I doing with my life? And with the pieces that kind of came together at that time, I remember the moment exactly because my friend was studying for a university exam, and I was living in his living room, and I was so upset because <clears throat> it was like three in the morning, the lights were still on, I had no way of going to sleep. I'm tossing and turning aggressively to show him that I'm really tired and you know, trying to get up for work in the morning or you know, to do something productive with my life. And at that moment, I was just, I felt like I didn't have control over my own life. That, um, 
yeah, you know, like so many pieces just didn't make sense to me. Like, and all of a sudden, I think that anger, that happiness, that curiosity just hit it like four in the morning where it just made sense that I'd been buying limited edition Nikes my whole life. And, you know, people have this need and I would have been doing all this microfinance work. And I, for one second, I understood that people like to give back to recognition that the Live Strong Armband had such a huge influence on culture in my early years that people would pay extra to offset carbon waste because it was a convenient habit when they were purchasing an airline ticket that people wanted to give back and be a part of the greater good and they needed a way to do it. And that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to use the way Nike took celebrities and positive energy and reverse it for charity where every celebrity had a charity, a cause, an opportunity and be the one to raise money and awareness for them through you know, a sustainable approach. Trying to get it to make sense in an industry that really had no brand loyalty. So at, <clears throat> at 4 a.m. I actually went on Google and I started looking up charity-based socks, things like that. And all I saw was there was a huge demand in charities for socks. That's kind of what just kept coming up in 2012. And here we are seven years later where I'm sure the market has adapted in many different ways based on personal habits, self-awareness, seeing that people really like to affiliate with being good in this world um, has really just been a pretty wild experience. Wild. So here you are at 4 a.m. You're doing your Google research. You're finding, man, there's not really anything like it. I think that I can do this. And I would say, it'd be safe to say at that point, you had never run a sock company before up to that point, correct? Yeah, I didn't know anything about socks. Not, nothing about socks. You just wear them on your feet and uh, bought some when you needed more. And that was that. Uh, so like you wake up the next morning or maybe you don't go to bed that night. I don't know. You can tell us like, what are the first three steps you take from that point where you have no idea what you're doing? You just know what you want to do. I texted my two best friends and I told them about the, an idea that I was really confident in. And I told them that same night and they reciprocated that I was onto something and that I knew what I was doing, not knew what I was doing, but that they wanted to you know, see this come to life and, you know, help in any way they could. And that's kind of when the story started where we would begin by building a business plan um, and just organizing. And Bryant University actually helped me with that. I'd reached out to my freshman business professor at that time and I'd asked for a template for a business plan to work off um, just to see the different areas um, and understand the market, um, how big was the sock industry, things like that from just every layer. Why did this fit in? Um, how is this going to be successful? And that business plan wasn't actually very value for anybody else more than myself to really go through the process of convincing myself that this made sense. That this was a, while, a viable idea, something that I could do very well with the correct knowledge, expertise, et cetera. Awesome. So you text your best friends, you share the idea, you build this business plan. And now that you've got this business plan, what would be one more step that you took? So we, we, we tried to get a little more validity here and there from people around us. Um, the last step was we borrowed $1,000 from one of our friends and started hiring a designer. And then we took all the designs we had originally made and we tested them. Um, so what I would do is I would go to like fashion stores around Sydney, Australia, um, some of like the you know, main fashion places that see people trying on suits, um, different, different uh, you know, fresh attire. And I would go to them and I would show them the socks we designed and I'd show them top trending socks on the market, Argyle Bay socks, stripe patterns, et cetera. And I would probably survey over 100 people through the course of a week and just try to find out which were their favorites. And at that point, once 
once we started doing that market research, I realized that people didn't really like the sock designs we made. They were really not that nice. And people really wanted some of the classic patterns. So when we launched the crowdfunder, we actually took very basic classic patterns that we saw industry successful and added the organic component, sustainable component, and the charity component to it to really just test the concept to know, hey, maybe people aren't buying these stuff. We know people like these designs. We know Argyle is a pattern that we've seen very successful for stores that I've asked, people that I've asked, et cetera. Will people pay to know that the Argyle sock is produced sustainably and going to a nonprofit charity and frankly way better quality than the three to five dollar Argyle socks that are you know mass produced around the world? And that was really the initial test. Awesome. And I want to make sure that we highlight something here that's uh, really important. Uh, your first step after waking up the next day is you text your best friends. And that is so, that's like a critical step that often gets overlooked because you shared this idea with someone that was outside of your headspace. And for a lot of people, that is really scary. So do you, like, why did you text your best friends right away? Did you just have that open relationship? And was there any fear in your mind of, man, the second someone else knows about this idea, I'm almost like on the hook to do something about this or fail openly, even if it's just my circle of friends? Yeah, you know, actually, if I'm being transparent, that sort of mentality did consume me for the first year or so. Um, you, you're very protective of your own work, and it is that barrier. You don't know who you can always trust in this world. But... You know, you need somebody. At the end of the day, we all need somebody to know that we can like turn around and hopefully, you know, trust this person. And at the time, I like to believe my best friend had an entrepreneurial spirit that, that this is something that he engaged with. And, you know, I think the opportunity to collaborate is more exciting than the opportunity to forge something and possess it. Um, but just to see it exist in the world is really, um, you know, a beautiful thing. I think the opportunity to try to control and possess something as your own and have control and ownership um, kind of leads someone in many cases to uh, the wrong giving mindset. It's more of an egotistical mindset that I think is a driving nature that we, as people, as we grow older, really want to overcome to be our best selves. Um, ego can't be our main driver for success, collaboration, a sense of community, a sense of change, a sense of just creation needs to be the driver. And that only really happens with the right collaboration. Mm -hmm. So for anyone that has an idea, I think it's such an important first step is just bounce that idea off of someone that you trust and see what happens from there. And even, even though that idea is now out of your headspace and into the world, and there's a chance you might never touch it again after that moment, at least it's a step uh, in the right direction. Your second step is also really smart. You leaned on resources that you had in your network. So you uh, put a call in to Bryant University and they were able to help you make that business plan. Such a smart move. And so often we have these nuggets of gold in our own network and we don't even think about leaning on them for help. Uh, but you did. And it was a uh, really, really smart play there. So I applaud that one. And then third, you said, I want to get some validity. And you started to just kick the tires, go out and ask people, ask stores, ask consumers, hey, is this an idea that is worth pursuing? And uh, I think that your first three steps there are something that a lot of us can learn from, and uh, I appreciate you breaking those down. Thanks, bud. So, uh, so Conscious Step ends up getting launched, and you guys are moving and grooving. Uh, take us to kind of where it's at today uh, and what, what the business looks like, how the vision's changed, how you've pivoted, and where we're going. Yeah, I think um, Conscious Step took about two years from the crowdfunder to be a legitimate 
um, organized business. So in 2013, in October, we launched the crowdfunder and we had just tested our first supplier and there were a lot of challenges. Um, there were challenges with the packaging quality. There were challenges with mostly the embroidery. Um, we were confident he could do a finished embroidery the way we want, um, very detailed. And he really struggled. We had a lot of spoilage on our first order. And it took us the next year and a half to get our supply chain organized. So we then switched from him to a new sock supplier who could do embroidery as well, but couldn't actually produce the quality product we wanted to invest in. We then switched to a third supplier. And in order to afford that third supplier, we had to go back and get money from our friends and family because their minimum order quantities to be under fair trade organic regulations were through the roof and not something we were viably able to afford. Um, so just getting that supply chain and that investment took over a year um, from the original crowdfunder to get an order. And then naturally building a sustainable relationship with your factory, learning about the certifications, getting them organized, making sure that you know, you're not essentially giving to charity and not producing under fair trade conditions or harming the environment, which we see you know, more and more often of, which really bothers me, especially when you know, people in, these, in today's age are showing from a you know, perception standpoint that they're doing good, but then their back-end logistics are horrible for the world or for the environment. And it wouldn't make sense to me to take that sort of business approach. Like, how can you go about fighting hunger and on the other end be destroying the environment or not be, you know, producing in fair trade conditions where the people who are literally producing your product then are not getting fair wages. And then at the same time, they're supporting hunger. It doesn't really make any sense to anybody. And it's not really a fair business approach. It's almost like a counterfeit if you think about it logically, because you're, you're tricking somebody. You're literally saying, the person who's making the product isn't gonna eat, but don't worry, I'm gonna use the money to give food to someone who needs it. And that's not, that's not really a viable business model. It's not really good for the world or yourself. So you know, thinking about it, the opportunity was, how can I create an authentic business? How can we actually be fair trade, organic, sustainable, non-toxic, and know that people are buying a product that is actually not causing harm? In the sock industry, over the past seven years, I'd like to believe I've become somewhat of an expert seeing how scaled polyester-based tying has become in screen printing. And if people actually understood the effects that this had on their skin and watched how polyester-based poor screen printed products were made, they would not be as turned on on the design that, you know, of their favorite athlete's face going on their foot. You know, there's, there's different things that, you know, we really hope to educate people of in the long-term vision. And that's really what we've been working towards. So each year as we've gotten more resources, We've been able to expand our charity partnerships. We now have over 14 partners, including Oceana, UN Women, Conservation International, Room to Read, Trees for the Future. So we've really actually been able to align with the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which has been very nice. We've really been able to eliminate most, if not all, plastic off our supply chain. Really just be able to use your resources to take steps to be more sustainable, get the right certifications, get our supply chain continually assessed by fair trade, by organic, so that the right materials are in place. Because the real goal here isn't to you know, get rich quick, it's to build an authentic business model and a brand that is actually valid to the lifestyle and the concerns of what we face as people today. Mm. You brought something to light here that's super important, and it's about the transparency of an industry like the sock industry and how a company like Conscious Step is really lifting the veil in that transparency and saying, Hey, there is, there is a right way to do this that actually benefits the world at large. And there is a wrong way to do this. I mean, how, how can, 
how, how do we get that transparency to be globally accepted, to be globally known? How do we make people more aware of it? What can someone do who's listening just to spread this message that needs to be spread? Um, yeah, you know, I think we've really built this business on the model that um, conscious awareness is the key towards solving a problem. And the first step is really awareness, understanding the problem and you know, knowing that this problem exists in the world. It's also, you know, on a personal level, that's how we solve personal problems too. We have to accept that, hey, I have a problem and I need to work towards a solution here. And, you know, transparently, it's kind of just been a learn and apply process for me. I've just gone ahead and asked as many questions as I could, been the pain in the ass guy who's really going into the supply chain and asking, you know, what are you doing? Prove to me that this is being done the way it's supposed to be done. And it's not so much for the end customer as much as, you know, you'd like to say that, but it's for me. I need the comfort of knowing that, hey, if I'm going to partner you to UN Women and do all these amazing things, that I'm not actually responsible along the way for someone getting mistreated, for toxic dyeing, for metal being put in the product, or, you know, some sort of lapse that can take place in an industry at scale. So, you know, when you address the question, it's really just wanting to educate yourself, wanting to ask the questions about what you're purchasing, how it impacts the world, why it's being made, why it costs $3 at H&M versus $15 at Conscious Step for the same pair of socks. Um, is, is, there is, you know, a right and wrong way, essentially, and it's just based on your values as a person on what you want to affiliate with. This really hits at the core of probably what sounds like the problem that you are most passionate about solving in the world if you had to put some scope some words a phrase to what that is like what is how do you define the problem you are most passionate about solving in the world and maybe tie it into what we just talked about with this supply chain issue yeah i think the two words for me would be sustainable consumption i think um sustainable is the first word meaning that hey it needs to be you know, not coming at the harm of our planet it needs to be renewable. It needs to be understood. It needs to not have a carbon footprint and essentially not ideally not be contributing to the large scale of waste. And as I mentioned, this has been a learn and apply process. So anything we can do to kind of be more resourceful, we're looking into finding ways to allow people to recycle their products for new products and better deals in the future. Um, but just kind of a learn and apply process. And then the consumption side, right? Like understanding what you consume, how it affects your body. Um, I think in the 90s when we were growing up, we, weren't, we didn't really have the knowledge of organic food, what that meant, versus nowadays when you see how you know, Whole Foods and other companies have really just changed the industry. Um, what we consume really defines us as people. Um, how we consume our day-to-day -day intake, what social media we follow, how do we take it in. Um, that sort of consumption base is, is so important. And to be a part of like positive consumption, to be a part of sustainable consumption, to know that what you're consuming actually expands your mind, makes you a better person. You know, trying to affiliate ourselves with the right people, meditation, yoga, things that actually benefit people's lifestyles and have you know proven affiliation with happiness is so important to us as a brand, as opposed to just consumption or just sustainability, but really just you know creating a vision and a lifestyle over the coming years. That allows people to, you know, understand what a conscious step means in this world and how understanding an issue can really be a part of global change. Hmm. So when it comes to socks, I'm going to rep it for you since you're a <laughs> humble guy. Sustainable consumption. When it comes to socks, conscious step. Go there, grab some socks, check them out. You're going to love them. And you're going to help contribute to this world with uh, sustainably consumed products. So what is your advice, Prashant, for someone who says, cool, I'm going to get the socks for sure. Where else can they look or what should they be doing when they come up to a different product 
to know if they're in line with this sustainable consumption uh, theory and model and way of living. Yeah, you know, um, the four the four that I've learned about and followed in our industry first has been fair trade. Fair trade emphasizes that everyone along the supply chain is making a fair uh, fair wage salary and that there's no children or forced labor being taken place. They're often interviewing people. They're making sure that um, the factories are paying minimum wages because if I go to the factory, there's nothing preventing them from lying to me. But when fair trade goes in and inspects the factory, you like to believe that they have the processes in place to make sure that fair working conditions are met. Um, the second has been organic. Um, organic really references um, just the process of how the cotton is made, um, essentially without pesticides, the way it's produced, etc. Um, et I'd encourage people to look more into what organic consumption means, especially as we look into food. It's just, you know, from, from what I've seen, food, especially whole foods, people will always, you know, buy organic because they know the food hasn't touched pesticides, that there's a process in place to make sure that it is organic and that that sticker actually means something. The third is um, Okeotex. Okeotex I've seen very popular in the bedding industry. Um, so when people are mattress shopping, sheet shopping, um, pillowcase, etc., you always want to be looking for that Okeotex label. That actually means that there, this is a full certified non-toxic dyeing process that's taking place. So apart from the cotton not having pesticides, they're showing you that, hey, when we made this bed sheet, there has actually been no toxic dyeing and it's Okeotex certified and tested for chemicals tell the consumer that, hey, this doesn't have any toxic dyes in your bedding material because who kind of wants toxic dyes on their bed sheets? But if you don't know any better, you naturally don't know any better. And the fourth has been vegan. Um, vegan has obviously been very a trendy word over the past 10 years, but you know the simple definition is it doesn't come at, har at harm to animals. And uh, vegan actually goes as far as testing the the cleaning materials the factory uses to make sure that there's nothing from, from animals to literally the whole process. And in the clothing industry, it should be pretty easy, but you'd be surprised in like makeup and other areas how many how popular animal testing has become. And you know, if you don't have to be a part of farming animals to you know wear your clothes or buy makeup or you know live, it's a pretty great feeling. Awesome. Four that we're gonna highlight right there, four ways. Fair trade, organic, vegan, and then you gotta spell it for me. Okio text. Yep. O-E-K-O. Dash T-E-X. Dash T-E-X. Uh, that one I definitely have never heard of. Fair trade, uh, you see that one often, organic, vegan. You see those words tossed around probably sometimes uh, flippantly where they really don't mean what they should mean. But uh, Okeotex is one that I'm definitely going to uh, look up for sure. I mean, all these four, they have governing bodies that determine who can use those on their products, I'm, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a pretty intense process to get certified in any of those areas. So, you know, getting the process going for all four of those areas over the past year or two, it's been really great. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, uh, my commitment to sustainable consumption is I want to get a rep from each of these four channels to be on the show and tell us about how rigorous that process is and hear it from the horse's mouth um, because people need to know what these labels mean on products and just how important they are. Oh, yeah, I can help with that, Nick. Oh, awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, so you've built up a pretty awesome network over the years, and uh, Conscious Step, no doubt, was not built alone. Can you talk a little bit about the power of your network uh, and how that has played a role in the growth of the business? Of course. Um, so I guess it's, there's two sides to our network. There's the people 
who serve as mentors and advisors and investors on our board. Those people have really you know, committed to just putting us in a position through their own resources um, to be successful in whatever way they can. So for example, Kathy O is one of the uh, head advisors at Samsung. Um, she runs the global advertising department and she formerly worked at Apple for, a few, for about four years, I believe, running this similar brand, the global advertising. And you know, just getting her network, her expertise, her opinion on the product, the packaging, the marketing, the, the deals, things like that, is invaluable because I started this company when I was 22 years old. You know, I didn't I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and another person who has been really great has just been uh, my older brother Rahul has uh, contributed. He's a senior executive at LinkedIn, so LinkedIn um, and his colleague Alyssa Merwin have both really played huge parts to LinkedIn and getting us connected to LinkedIn for good. We often go to LinkedIn to even take their employees aside and do some photo shoots with them in the office. Um, their network, their outreach, their support, they've given us awards, recognition, um, even done custom socks year by year, which they give to all their new employees, has really just massively helped their brand spread awareness and get the right demographic customers and network in place. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, as you mentioned network, I think one of the things as a younger entrepreneur is accepting you don't know what you don't know and putting yourself around people who are experts in advertising, experts in supply chain management, experts in, you know, communication, um, experts in sales strategy, experts in marketing strategy. Um, you can't really replace that. Um, and another big advisor has been Sid Lakani. He runs Healing Hands, which is a nursing scrub company, and he's been on our board for about four years now. And his supply chain expertise, um, shipping, because really at the end of the day, your brand is only as good as your product. And if we're not shipping a product that is, um, you know, exceptionally better than the competition, if it's not continually improving, if our supply chain isn't getting more efficient for stores to distribute quicker, then, um, you know, we're not really growing a successful business. And seeing how Sid has grown Healing Hands over the past few years has been uh, pretty inspirational to watch because it serves a very similar purpose where he's making nursing scrubs into a fashion and he's fixing a need in the market where, you know, it's not always the most fun job, but having a style and not just having to wear a tampered blue uniform every day, I'm, I'm sure it goes a long way for, for a professional in the industry. Um, and then naturally, I couldn't be more grateful for my colleagues who come to the office every day. Uh, Julianne, Zay, and Tarina have uh, really stepped up over the past few months and years to develop from out of college into adults, taking on a small business, which isn't so typical for someone at a young age, and learning that, you know, there is a sort of real pressure that comes with small business and expectations. And you know, just seeing how they've grown and learned as individuals has been probably the most fulfilling part of the job for me. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a, a shared recurring belief that uh, you're as strong as your network. The strength of your network can lift, lift your business, can accelerate your business. I think you, you started it from literally from minute one when you texted your best friends that was your start of networking. I would be willing to bet that you met one person at a time and then met the next person. And now today you've built this very impressive, phenomenal network of people that continue to help drive the business. And so to someone listening, like he, Prashant started with his best friend and texted them. And that was truly the start of networking there. And he just went from there and it's a long journey, but it's one person at a time. And I would be willing to bet that along the journey of networking, along the journey of Conscious Step, there's probably some pretty unbelievable stories. So Prashant, tell us a story that we just would not believe. Whew. So uh, one that I appreciated that was pretty recent 
Um, our co our, my co-founder, Adam Long, had the opportunity to go to the World Economic Forum and meet a lot of celebrities and give them the product and just show them the you know, aligned work and mission we had as a company. He had the opportunity to meet with Will I Am. He had the opportunity to meet with Jane Goodall. And the best one, uh, we support water.org, um, which is Matt Damon's charity. And lucky enough, he got to meet Matt Damon and, you know, explain to him how passionate we are about helping him solve the world water crisis and getting some fresh socks on his feet. Funny part of that story was he actually gave out all the water socks prior to meeting Matt Damon. So the photo we have with Matt Damon is him holding up breast cancer awareness socks, which uh, I'm sure he's very passionate and happy to be supporting, but it's kind of funny because you'd rather him be, you know, repping his own charity in that photo with water.org. So, you know, I think going back to it, the best part has really been just that, you know, you never know where the universe will take you when you get out there and chase your dreams, who you'll meet and how you'll get there. And as a finance grad who entered the sock industry and really just wanted to educate himself on sustainable consumption and giving back in the world, the path has really just taken me in places that I would have never imagined um, just like that, just by getting the opportunity to speak with and meet with Matt Damon or, you know, other celebrities like that who, you know, do the grit and grind often do have a passion when they reach higher levels of self-awareness to, you know, give back and do good in this world. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, you know, get out of your comfort zone, meet people, crazy things happen for good and for bad. I'm so happy that that story isn't, I saw Matt Damon, but didn't have the right socks. So I didn't talk to him. I'm so happy it was, you know, I met him, I talked to him, we took a selfie. I didn't have the socks, but you know what? I didn't have the socks. It is what it is. We took a picture with socks. Uh, and so good for you for not letting that deter you from going up, starting the conversation. And yeah, now you're, now you're sharing that story with us. <laughs> Thanks Nick. Yeah. Uh, real quick. Uh, what's the quick, quick version of Matt Damon? Good guy. Uh, well, Adam met him. I didn't, I was just telling the story because he was at the world economic forum, but based on what, um, Adam said, Matt Damon is a great guy who gave us full permission to put out the, um, photo, he gave us um, doing everything he can through water.org. Gary White, the co-founder of water.org, is a huge, huge fan of Conscious Step, from what I hear on the reg from our partnership contacts. So, yeah, you know, um, to answer your question, I don't think it's fair for me to judge Matt Damon, but I have to assume he's a great person because he held up his socks. <laughs> that, is a, that is a fair response. Uh, he, he seems like an awesome guy from the work he does uh, and the stuff he promotes. So I can only imagine that that would be continued in his character, which is cool. Um, so tell us, uh, tell us what you're scared of after this whole crazy journey of uh, 3 a.m. moments of 4 a.m. Googling and supply chains and all this stuff, the certifications. Uh, I don't know. What are you scared of in business and in life? It's a pretty great question, Nick. Um, you know, I think as a, as a, you know, I recently just turned 30 and I think the one thing is I really just want to see what the best version of myself looks like. I think that's really what I'm always working towards. It's not so much like an objective thought, but a subjective one. And, you know, how can I learn more? How can I grow more? How can I expand my sustainable knowledge? How can I expand my network? How can I continue to be the best person, best version of myself? How can I empower those around me to live their best lives and be the best, best version of themselves? Um, that's really what, is kind of my number one trigger on a day-to-day -day basis. That's kind of my main driver more than anything. I think money and different things come and go quickly in life, people, etc. But if you're always, you know, happy with yourself, working to be the best version of yourself and surrounding yourself with like-minded people, life begins to feel kind of infinite. And, you know, really working towards that infinite realm of creativity, opportunity, and growth is, um, 
a never-ending challenge. So, you know, I don't really know if I answered your question directly in regards to fear, but, you know, my main challenge is really just trying to grow and be a best version of myself. And as you get older, you feel like it gets a little bit harder. You know, it's not as easy to wake up with a hangover. It's not as easy to, you know, prioritize family, different things and different things that happen in life um, or different challenges that we all have to, not, you know, move forward with but not essentially plan for. And for me, you know, I just want to continue to improve and allow myself and the people who have taken this risk with me to live the best version of their lives that they can. Awesome. I think it's a great answer. There's no wrong answer to that question. So it's well said. What's, uh, what's something we'd be pretty surprised to, to know about you? Uh, hopefully the, the fact that I've been to Australia 12 times surprises some people. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the people I've met in life around New York City have never actually you know, been to Australia. I feel like it's probably less than 5% of people I've met have actually made the trip. So I'm really proud of that because, you know, I feel like Australia is like my comfort zone in a way. It's like you get out of the New York City vibe, the stress, and all of a sudden you're sitting at a 100-degree beach just feeling real good. Uh, so Australia has been a good part. Um, about me, huh? I really like to play basketball and watch basketball. Um, um, just genuine appreciation for the game. Uh, big Knicks fan. My brother is a season ticket holder. So when I'm not you know, selling socks, I'm out cheering for the Knicks and we're terrible. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> if, uh, if someone saw you at an airport traveling to random places, would they see you in a group or would they see you by yourself? They'd more than likely see me by myself unless it was uh, for a friend's party or something of that nature. But um, I think one of the things I really like to do is travel alone to keep perspective. So I've traveled to Costa Rica, as I mentioned, Australia and different parts of Australia 10 plus times. I've traveled around South America, traveled through Thailand, Bali, across Asia. So, you know, part of the, the dream of Conscious Step for me as an individual is to make the world seem like a smaller place. And what's aligned well with that is the goal for global distribution. So, yeah, if you see me traveling, chances are I'm alone trying to just get some perspective or get out of my comfort zone a little bit. Awesome. I love it. What's the best way for listeners to find you, connect with you, support what you're doing? Um, hello at ConsciousStep.com. We always appreciate feedback. Um, and uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on uh, Prashant at ConsciousStep.com if you'd like to reach out to me individually. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm always, I always like to consider myself an open person here to help, here to talk to anybody with a similar mindset or mission. Awesome, man. Well, before you exit the stage, you've got 15 seconds uh, to give a message to the world. Anyone that's listening, they hear it in your language. Uh, what is your 15-second message to the world at large today? My 15-second message to the world, Nick, would be let go of your expectations in this life um, and chase your dreams. I mean, your dreams can change any day, any minute, or through any period or any perspective that you gain. But the more you're able to let go of the expectation of what your life is supposed to be and live in the moment and be present and embrace change and look at things like opportunity um, instead of feeling like life consumes you or that you're reactive to everything, it's very, it's very, very, you know, important towards living your best life. Awesome. Well, at the start of this show, friends, we, we listened to a story about a young man who was... Uh, wanting something more, working a job in finance and knew that there was something else out there. And fast forward years later, and here we have Prashant, the founder of Conscious Step, 
who really just showed up and he continued to show up as much as he could. He built a strong network. He dug in and he was willing to fail. And if you really want something, you just have to show up as much as you can. So we thank you, Prashant, for telling that story. We thank you all for listening. And uh, we are excited to see what the future has in store for Conscious Step and the sustainable consumption model that you guys are promoting. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks, thanks for having me, Nick. It was great speaking with you. Absolutely.